Hey everyone, I'm Jordy, the Bible School and Tech Director here, and welcome or welcome back to Impact Life Church's online experience. After the message, please take a moment to like or subscribe, but most importantly, we hope that this message inspires you to impact this generation for Jesus. and share and then Mr. Barry will come right after and share the word with us I guess you don't have to stand up here they can see you I do need this thing so just to let you guys know this is not in chronological order I do not come after Herb and Shirley boy you really can't see anything with these lights um I am old, though, because as you notice, I come with a piece of paper. It's not on my phone, probably because I don't know where my phone is. But um, so if you guys were wondering why this is happening, why um, people have been sharing, Pastor Joel asked if um, some people could come and kind of talk about what God is telling them in their heart. And so when Pastor Joel asked me, I kind of jumped at it because... It's good to be responsible for something like this because it kind of makes you look at your life and what's going on and it makes you evaluate your heart. And especially having to stand up in front of a bunch of people, you really kind of have to evaluate to see what's going on. So I immediately said yes because things have been happening in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Um, if you guys don't know, I retired last year from nursing. You probably do know because I talk a, a lot about myself. <laughs> but um, I had a great, great career in nursing. I loved it. I graduated in 1983 from psychiatric nursing and uh, worked kind of part-time most of my life and did lots of things, saw lots of things, met lots of interesting people. I can honestly say that most of the time that I had to go to work, I was happy to go to work. I loved my job. I worked on the units for a while and really got a lot of experience. And then uh, my dream came true. I ended up working in the community. This is in Edmonton. And I, to me, that was always my dream. Downtown Edmonton, hang out with the hoi polloi and, you know, go for lunch. And so I worked on the crisis team and I loved it. Lots of action. And then the cherry on the Sunday was I was asked to participate in what was called PACT, Police and Crisis Team. So this was the first team in Alberta. And so I was kind of a founding member. I loved it. I always wanted to be a cop, gay cops. And, um, and so this is the closest thing to it. And so when we moved to Red Deer, when we decided to make the big move to belong to this church here, um, I kind of thought, okay, that's, that's the cherry on the Sunday. I'm done with nursing. And I went to Bible school, and in Bible school, I learned about boundaries from Pastor Lori, and it was like a curtain opened. It was, it was 
I got it. And especially when it comes to psychiatry, boundaries are a huge part of it. And so I decided to go back to nursing after Bible school because I wanted to put this into practice. And again, God has been very, very good to me in my career. Don't know if I always deserved it, but he always opened doors. I tend to be restless. And when things kind of got boring, another job would open up immediately. And so I worked in Emerge for a long time on the crisis team. And when that got boring, I ended up being the mental health navigator, which just means you're the liaison worker between Emerge and the, and the community and mental health. It was a great job. But then um, I, you kind of know when seasons end, and I thought, this season is ending. Uh, I need to do something else. While I still have energy, while I still have time, because in the back of my mind, I always thought God has something very, very specific for me to do, and I don't think this is it. So Freedom 55, here we go. And uh, I retired. And I said to God, here I am. Use me. And God said to me, nothing not a word and i thought what's going on because you know i don't want to toot my own horn but i have certain qualities and i'm capable why is god not using me and so what i decided to do was it sounds very religious i decided to wait on the lord so as i'm waiting uh, i started watching netflix and tv and <laughs> started playing solitaire on my iPad and Sudoku games. And before you know it, I'm watching TV while playing Sudoku games, <laughs> feeling so incredibly frustrated and so like, what is going on? Going to bed thinking, tomorrow I'm not going to do this. Tomorrow I'm going to change my life. And then I would sit there the next day not knowing what to do. So I had no purpose, no direction, no motivation, and that's a horrible place to be in. I tend to get my self-worth from what I'm doing. I'm a doer. Um, and here I had nothing to do. And then the other thing is, like, thank heavens there's church and there's things to do. But you kind of end up doing what other people want you to do. You help other people fulfill their goals. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I knew it's not my goals. I, I was convinced that there was something very specific for me to do. So it's, uh, I wasn't really getting anywhere. Getting more frustrated, more kind of resentful towards God. Like, why are you not using me? Um, I have capabilities. And it wasn't until probably after Christmas sometime, Pastor Joel really started talking about connecting with God and, and the fact that people know of God and then there's people who know God. And I don't know why I never got this. In all my years of Christianity, and I decided to seek God. So rather than wait on him, I know it doesn't sound like it's a big difference, but it's a huge difference. So I decided to seek him. So I got rid of the Sudoku, got rid of Facebook, got rid of all these things, and started forming a relationship with God. And I'm not very good at relationships. I found that out. Well, you guys probably know that. But... <laughs> But in the morning, when you meet God, 
You know, Pastor Joel talks about that, right? On Mondays, how he sits in the white chair and he says, God, examine my heart, my heart, find out what's not right, deal with these things. You know, I remember him talking about that going, oh, I could never do this. Sit still for that long and nothing is happening. But I force myself. And the good thing about God is when you seek him and when you seek him with all your heart. Yeah. You find him. Because God goes after those that go after him with all his heart, all their heart. So, and the other thing that I realized is there's a lot of stuff in my heart that shouldn't be there. And, you know, and there's a lot of unbelief there. Because we say things and we're so conditioned. We have been trained very, very well in the church, in this church, in the word. We know what to say. We know the Bible verses. We know how to declare. But when it comes to believing, that's a whole different matter. Like we have a lot of head knowledge. And I shouldn't say we. I have a lot, had a lot of head knowledge. But sometimes when you're under stress or, or things don't go the way you want, what comes out of you? What's, what are you thinking? Who do you turn to? Do you right away turn to somebody else or, or do you turn to God? And so I realized I need to turn to God first and foremost. And it's a process. You learn. But I'm just so thankful that God is so faithful to me, that he's always there. But the thing that I, I realized that I need to do is I have to become a lot more vulnerable. And my son actually mentioned this once, that um, I thought it was a good analogy, that if you go to the hospital, what are one, what's one of the things that they do to you is they stick you in that gown. It's extremely uncomfortable. Um, I've seen many people walk around trying to hide in that gown. They need quick access to you, but it leaves you very, very vulnerable because your back is exposed. But church is the same thing. Church is the hospital for your soul. I don't know if everybody knows this, but we all have issues. That's why we need a savior. And so we are saved. Our spirit is saved, but our soul still needs a lot of work. And so the church is our hospital. And so we have to put on that gown and we have to expose ourselves as, as uncomfortable as it is. And so um, I am so incredibly grateful that what's coming up here in church is the freedom story. I don't know if you guys know about it as much as you need to know, but this is training for your soul. This is the hospital for your soul. I am so excited to go into it because there's so much that you can learn from God, but there's also going to be a lot of things that we need to learn from one another. And so this is our chance to become vulnerable and to do some gardening in our heart, to pull up some weeds, to level some rocks, to make the soil fruitful so that we can, you know, our time is short. We need to, <laughs> we need to get going. The world needs us. And so I'm so incredibly thankful for this opportunity that Freedom Story, which I think is coming up at the end of September, that we can partake of it. So I encourage everybody, um, if there's things that you need to work on, because God says to go after him with all your heart. And I always kind of thought, how is that possible? But it is possible. Because the thing is, 
The Holy Spirit is the one that draws you, right? So we have to be open to it. We have to be able to listen to him. When he talks to us and says, okay, there's some things that you need to work on, we have to be able to hear the Holy Spirit. And then he draws us to Jesus, and Jesus washes us and cleans our heart. And then he brings us to God who forgives us and takes it out of our heart to never, ever be brought up again. And so to me, this freedom story is such an opportunity to go through this process and to learn and to enlarge our heart and to grow. Amen. Well, we can go home now. Thank you, Wendy. So many things that Wendy said are just going to kind of tie in even with what I'm going to talk about this morning. Yeah, that was, that was good. I was blessed. Going to kind of work with, in tandem with what I'm going to preach this morning. And I am very glad to be here this morning. Oh, thank you. Glad to be able to share in my home church. Yeah. Cheryl and I have been here for nine years, just actually a little over nine years. I'm not sure where the nine years went, but uh, yeah, been here for nine years, and I want to thank you for inviting me this morning. And of course, if Pastor Joel and Jamie are watching live, I want to thank you for, for uh, uh, inviting me and giving me this opportunity to share. It's always an honor, and it's always a privilege to be able to share. And, uh, uh, and anyone else who is also uh, watching, I want to welcome you uh, this morning to our church service. And I just know Pastor Joel and Jamie's heart because I work here and I know their heart is for everybody in this church to flourish. Everybody in this church to, you know, have everything that God has for them. Flourish in their families and flourish in their jobs, right? For, flourish in their health, flourish in their pocketbook. He, they want everybody to flourish and in this place and this church would flourish and you get all you can from this church and then even as we go out from here, we flourish out into our communities and into this city and this city's changed because we know our God and we know his word. And so it's a privilege and Pastor Joel asked me to share on my new book, The Beginning of the End of the Devil. And I like to say that this book is the real story. You know, there's so much confusion out there and you watch Hollywood and one day they, they paint the devil as this all-powerful being that can never be stopped. That's a lie. The next time they paint him as this guy who's bad, but he's kind of likable and you almost want to be his friend. <laughs> and that's a lie. And you ask Christians a lot of times, you know, about the devil and they're not even sure about him, how much authority or power he has or what he does, and some people aren't even sure that the devil exists. And so I wrote this to clear up some confusion, and, and, and what has happened over time is that uh, this has given the devil unprecedented uh, uh, access into people's lives, unprecedented access into governments and into our education system and into the basics of life, because people aren't sure. Right? And some people even think that some of the stuff that's going on is of God. And that's all twisted and wrong thinking. And so you probably walked by the book table this morning and Pastor Joel asked, uh, or said I could have a book table up and so I put it up 
uh, there, and uh, it's the beginning of the end of the devil. And I also wrote another book, and both books, I'm not an author kind of guy that just loves to write. I did not like to write and, until God got on my back and I was over 50, and he says, you write the book, the books. And, and the last book was, he gave me the outline for the book. It's called Fragile. And one time I was in my office, and, and the Holy Ghost said to me, are you a fragile Christian? And I said, what does that mean, Lord? And the Holy Ghost said to me, fear, this is the acronym for fragile, fear, rejection, anxiety, guilt, intimidation, lies, and excuses make us fragile Christians. And so I wrote that down and I thought, man, that'll be something to write about or somebody should write about that. And it ended up being me. <laughs> and when I... And when I pastored, I did preach on, on, all, on, all, seven of those, uh, on all seven of those topics uh, at different times, uh, but then I just put it into print. And so both books are there. They're $15 each, and we have credit card and debit and cash and all those things. And praise the Lord. Let's get back to the beginning of the end of the devil. Amen. I titled this sermon, Don't Pick Up What the Devil Throws Down. Don't pick up what the devil throws down. Let's pray. Father... I just want to thank you this morning for your precious, holy, written word to us. I want to thank you that it is truth and that it is life. It can never change. I thank you, Lord, that it restores life. It changes life. It supernaturally invades our life. It causes us to be better. It causes us to grow. It causes us to be all that you created us to be. It helps us fulfill our purpose and the plan that you've given us in the mighty name of Jesus. So even before I preach, I'm just going to tell you what the devil's battle plan is. Might as well just tell, him what his battle uh, tell you what his battle plan is, and it'll help you to see where I'm coming for, from as I preach this morning. And it all comes, there was a song that was called Slow Fade. I don't know if you remember that song, it's about 10 or 12 years old. It's on the Christian radio station a lot, it's called Slow Fade. And it said, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white turns gray. Thoughts invade, choices are made, people never crumble in a day. That's the devil's battle plan. It's a slow fade. He's feeding people stuff all of the time. And so it becomes a slow fade and he slowly and methodically begins to infiltrate people's lives. And I see it even in believers' lives and it frustrates me. Because sometimes, you know, people say, well, you, you shouldn't talk about the devil. And we have done it, right, to, to, the, to the detriment of the church and the people. And we just stay away from that topic. And yet he exists and that he is uh, uh, working. You know, the Bible says that Jesus came to destroy the what? The works of the devil. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus came to destroy the devil. You know, when I heard that, I thought, well, the devil's destroyed. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? So the, he, he, he's not, you know, he's going to be imprisoned, right? He's going to lose all, any kind of uh, authority or anything that he can do. But that's future tense. That's future tense in the uh, uh, lake of fire and brimstone. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he says, I've come to preach the gospel to the poor. I've come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to deliver the captives, to give recovering of sight to the blind, and to free those that are, bru are bruised. In other words, Jesus said, I came to forgive all sin, and I came to heal all sickness. 
spiritual sickness, soulish sickness of the mind, you know, of the, of the emotions, and, 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 and physical sickness. He came to heal all sickness. And people wonder, well, why does God even allow him any access? And it's exactly why uh, he was in the Garden of Eden. It's for, the, it's for this uh, purpose of choice. There has to be a purpose of choice. Or if we have no purpose of choice, then we might as well all just go to heaven, right? Because we're not going to win anybody else. Everybody just kind of becomes robotic and we become robots and we just all go into heaven because there's no power of choice. And just like in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, right? They had a choice. Are they going to eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil or are they not? And the devil uh, gave them that choice. God said, don't do it. I don't even think it crossed their mind till the devil approached them and said, hey, did God really say? And once they ate of that, all of a sudden now we have tons of choices to make. We have choices to make every day, all the time, and all over the place. So what did Jesus really do? You know, when you look at the Old Testament and you look at the New Testament, you realize that Jesus definitely limited any power that he had. When you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament and you read in the book of Job and you realize that the devil approached God and asked God if he could have access in Job's life. And the devil had the ability in the book of Job to use the environment. And it says a great wind and maybe we would consider that a tornado or something. And it went through and it, and it, and, and it destroyed Job's family. And fire destroyed his property. And then the, uh, Job very specifically says that the devil put boils on Job from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. The devil had way more authority in the Old Testament. In the Garden of Eden, he approached Eve and he's told Eve and he gave her this choice and talked to her and spoke with her. And even Jesus in the Great Tribulation, or the Great Temptation, sorry, in the Great Temptation after his 40 days, the devil came to him and said, hey, make these stones bread. And it says that the devil took him up to a high pinnacle and says, throw yourself down and the angels will, will catch you because it was scriptural. And then he took Jesus to a, a high mount and overlooked all the nations and said, I'll give this all to you. He had uh, way more unprecedented access into people's lives in the Old Testament. But once Jesus went to the cross and once Jesus died and was resurrected from the dead, you don't find any of that in the New Testament. You don't find him having any of that kind of access in the New Testament, but you do find one thing he has, and it is the power of suggestion. It is the power of suggestion. That's the only tool that he has. Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. James said, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Paul said, neither give place to the devil. And we have in the Bible, Jesus and Peter and James, right? And Paul, all acknowledging the devil. And nowadays, people don't even want to acknowledge him. And notice they all told us to be aware of him. They all told us that he exists. They all told us that he is active. And they all told us that he's relentless. When you read the New Testament, he is relentless in his pursuit of God's favorite creation, mankind. And so he's just throwing stuff down and people don't know what they can pick up and what they can't pick up anymore. Right? And people say, well, don't talk about the devil. I say don't overemphasize what the devil can do because we have authority and power over him. He should not have any access into our life. 
He should not have any access in, in, into our life. So a couple of foundational scriptures I asked the guys to put up. Colossians 2.15. This is speaking of Jesus. It says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. Right? He stripped them. He humiliated them. He stripped them of their authority. He defeated them. And then in Ephesians 6.12 it says, For we do not wrestle against, what? Flesh and blood. But we do wrestle against principalities. We wrestle against powers. We wrestle against the rulers of darkness of this age. And against spiritual wickedness, or spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We see four entities uh, that, that we wrestle with. And I don't know about you, have you ever wrestled with these entities? Have they ever come in through your front door and they said, hey, I want you to go rob the corner store. And you're like, no, I don't believe in stealing. And they're like, yes, you do. No, you don't. And you have a wrestling match and whoever wins, the other being has to do what the other one says, right? Does he ever walk through your front door and, and, and he says, I want you to smoke that joint. And you're like, no, I don't believe in smoking uh, dope, right? And there's, no, you have to smoke that joint. And you wrestle with him on your living room floor and whichever entity wins, then, you know, if you win, then you don't have to do it. If he wins, then you have to do it. No, we don't wrestle with him, but we've all wrestled with him. Where? Right here between the ears. That's where we wrestle him. The only access he has is mental access. And it's always in our heads between the ears. If he had any natural power, he'd walk through that door and stop the meeting. If he had any natural power, you'd go home one day and all your Bibles would be tore up all over their house. And you'd be like, who tore these Bibles up? And we're like, it must be those entities. It has to be the principality. No, they don't have any access in the natural realm. So you don't have to worry about him uh, uh, appearing to you or coming through your front door. Jesus took care of that. He only has this one, uh, 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 one power. He only he has to either convince you, persuade you, or trick you. That's all he has. Or someone else to hurt you. And we see that around the world. He's persuaded and tricked and lied to other people which are hurting other people around the world. But that's the only access he has. So how are you going to know what the devil throws down? How are you going to know what we don't pick up? How are you going to know what's the devil, what's yourself, really, and, 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 and just what's life in general? Right? If I f jump up in the morning and I fly down the stairs and it's, it's snowed and it's slippery and I slip on the ice and I break my arm, well, it's the devil. No? As Barry was in a hurry, he wasn't thinking, it's icy out, right? Driving down the road in my brand new car and I get a flat tire, well, the devil gave me a flat tire, no. Right? Can't forgive that person over there, well, the devil won't let me forgive that person over there, no. That's life, that's us, that's things in life. The devil throws down things that are contrary to the Word of God. That's what he throws down. He throws down contrary to the Word. God doesn't heal. God doesn't heal everybody for sure. He probably won't heal you because look what you did last week. Right? That's the devil throwing stuff down. And you have to know that's the devil and you have to be able to say, I will not receive that in the mighty name of Jesus. I will not receive that. That is not my God. Right? The God, God doesn't love or like so-and-so more than someone else. But the devil will tell you that. Oh, look well, how they're blessed. Well, you're not going to get that. God loves them more than you. It's funny how when I first got saved, and you even still struggle with it, you know, God can save 
anybody in the whole world, anybody who's worthy of salvation except me. I think I was just a little bit bad. Too bad for God, right? God can heal anybody in the whole world. Yes, people can God heal. Yeah, yeah. God can heal anybody. Can he heal you? Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure he can. I, I, I don't know because we're always leaning back on the lies that the devil told us. Everybody can get everything from God except me. And that's the devil throwing stuff down. Remember uh, the devil in the Garden of Eden? Did God really say? Did God really say that? And so how are you going to know? And I like what Pastor Joel's been preaching over and over and over again. Number one, you have to know God. And number two, you're going to have to know his word. And you're going to have to know God and you know his word. And if you do, immediately when the devil throws something down, you're going to know. You're going to know there's something wrong with that. And you might not even be able to put your finger on it right away, but you just take a little time and you get in the Word and you'll find out that it was wrong. But you know in your spirit. So people are picking up stuff because they're not sure. And I'm like, don't even touch that. Don't touch that because you are picking up stuff that the devil's thrown down and it's going to affect you, right? Strange doctrines people are picking up, right? People say, well, that fetus is not a child. That's, don't, that's wrong, <laughs> Right? You should know instantly. If someone says that fetus is not a child, that that is because you know you're God and you know the Word of God and you know that our God always produces life. All the time. You should know that instantly. It shouldn't be a question. You shouldn't have to study about it and go see, you know, whose side's right. You should know that the Bible is right all the time. You should, you know, uh, uh, it's okay to lie a little bit here because it's for the greater good. You should know instantly that's wrong. You should know the Word of God and you should know God and know what the devil's throwing down. And we have people who, who, who know God, but they don't know the Word. And I like to call them real super spiritual people. And a lot of times they're real close to God. They have a lot of good things. But you'll find sometimes they pick up something that's contrary to the Word of God. And they try and implement things that are contrary to the Word of God. And then you have people who know the Word, right, Wendy? And they don't know, right? They don't know God. And so they're like, you have to tithe or you're cursed. Right? And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know my God. My God's not cursing people. He's blessing people. If he asks you to do something, he's trying to get something to you. He's trying to get something to you. That's why he's asking you to do anything. And so you've got to be careful. You've got to have that perfect combination because the devil is throwing stuff down 24-7. Well, as long as, as long as we're awake, I guess. He's throwing stuff down. And he's throwing stuff down through the TV, through the social media. He's throwing stuff down through teachers and through preachers and at work. Right, he's throwing stuff down through friends and news reporters. Right, notice I slipped preachers in there. Right, because he's throwing stuff down through everybody. And you know what people are trying to do? They're trying to. They're trying to, um, combat him, with one thirty-minute or forty-five-minute Sunday morning message, a week. And the statistics show that people only go to church roughly two times a month now. So we have 24 messages and he's slapping stuff down and that's why people are confused and they're running uh, uh, sideways and strange and they're not sure what's going on. If you don't know the heart of God and you don't know the word of God, it becomes confusion. And my Bible says God is not the author of confusion in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So as soon as confusion sets in and all this stuff that you're not sure about, you need to stop and wait a minute. This is something trying to infiltrate me that is contrary to the Word of God. I think I got this statement up in the middle screen. What you believe is a result of what you think. What you believe, I got it even 
bigger. What you believe and what you feel are products of what you think. What you believe and what you feel are products of what you think. Remember the battle plan, right? The devil wants access to those thoughts slowly and methodically because it's a slow fade, right? Thoughts invade. Choices are made. People never crumble in a day. And so it's through your thinking, right? And people, people think, well, you know, feelings are kind of on the top of the pyramid nowadays. That's completely wrong, completely unscriptural, right? And we'll look at that in a bit. But John chapter 13, verse 2. It was time for supper. And who? The devil had what? Already prompted Judas. This is before supper time. Son of Simon Iscariot to betray Jesus. Some translations say the devil made Judas decide. Another translation says the devil had already persuaded. Another translation said the devil put the thought into Judas. Another translation said the devil suggested the thought. See, the root of feelings begin with thoughts. Right? The, the root of your faith or the root of your unbelief, they begin with thoughts. It's all thoughts. Your, your, the root of your trust in God, your hope in God, your faith in God, they're all connected to your thoughts. That's where it all begins. And like I said, feelings, feelings always follow thoughts, not the other way around. Feelings follow thoughts, not the other way around. So some people might get up in the morning and they're like, Man, I'm mad. I guess I'm just going to have a mad day. No, you're having a mad day is because the thoughts you were thinking maybe the day before or a few days before that or even weeks before that. People wake up sad and I guess I'm just going to have a sad day today. No, it's got connected to the thoughts you had the day before and the, the week before and all those things and people and the devil just keeps tossing that and tossing it and tossing it to people get into depression and they got the light shut off in the house and they can't go anywhere and it has now become more of a disease or a sickness because it's gone to that level. And so we need to be careful what the devil's throwing down that we're not picking it up. The highest form of captivity is really mental or emotional captivity. That's the highest form. The highest form. And the devil wants to blind people, confuse people. He wants to depress people and he wants to make people sad because he wants to... And you need to take care of your mind. It is powerful. It is one of those most powerful tools. Don't let it run wild. Don't let stuff just turn and percolate in there and percolate in there. Once you know it's not of God, you just cast that thing down. Don't let it turn around and around in your mind and always keep your mind in line with the Word of God. Always keep it in line. Just like you trained your mind when you were in school, right? I still know two and two equals four, right? You can train your mind in the spiritual subjects. You can train your mind in the spiritual things. And you have to understand that the real you is this spirit man on the inside of you, right? It's not up here. The real you is this spirit man right on the inside of you. The Bible says that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, and that spirit wants to come out and express itself. It wants to come out and express itself in your homes and in your jobs and in your communities. And what's holding it back nine out of ten times? It's our thinking, right? And it's our thought process. But it wants to come out. It's excited, it wants to be alive. It wants other people to know what, uh, what you have. And it's on the inside of you. The Bible tells us to be careful with our mind. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Philippians 2.5 Let this 
mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Oh, blow you away. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Romans twelve two. Be not conformed to this word, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Isaiah twenty six three. Old Testament Ever. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And so when you know God and you know his word, you begin to know something about yourself. You begin to know something about yourself. And so when the devil throws down some, this idea, well, you're a failure. When he throws down this idea, well, you're unloved. When he throws down this idea that you're a mistake, you're like, no, 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 no. I know God and I know my word. And he says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know my God. I know, he says he counts the hairs of my head. That's how much God cares for me. I know my God and my God never, his acceptance of me is not based on my performance and whether I do a great job or not or on my perfection and whether it's perfect or not or on my goodness or on my badness. Christ accepts me, I mean God accepts me fully in Christ. And we begin to know those things and the devil can't throw those things down and start to tear us down and hold us back from everything that God has for us. He calls me his child. The truth of being a child of God. Is this microphone banging? No, okay. The truth of being a child of God needs to be an attitude in your thinking. And people say, well, I know this. and No, you don't. <laughs> I don't even really know it. I have never plumbed the depths of it. It is so huge. We are children of God. It is not a reality to so many of us. It's just words that we spout. Well, I'm a child of God. I invited Christ into my life and he made me his child, right? And uh, 1 John 3, 1. 1 John 3, 1. Do you know how old uh, uh, John was here? The Apostle John was 84 years old and he said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And he was preaching it to the church because the church didn't get it. They really didn't get the depths of being a child of God. And we need to be able to view uh, this. We be able to see this. And we need to be able to think about ourselves as children of God if we're going to walk in the fullness of what God has provided for us. You're going to have to understand that you're a child of God. Last time I was at home, this woman came up to me and she said, well, whose boy are you? Right? Because my dad has five brothers, and so there were six of them, and they have a lot of kids, and so there's lots of semesters all over the place, right? Because they all had large families. And I said, Well, I'm John's boy. My dad's name was John. And she goes, Oh, I remember John. See, I'm still John's kid. <laughs> my dad's passed away. I'm still John's kid, and I'm going to be John's kid for all of the time we're alive on the earth, and to, in eternity to some degree. But we are children of God. The day you invite Jesus Christ into your Lord, into Lord uh, Jesus Christ and make him the Lord of your life, from the moment that takes place, right, throughout eternity and forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and you're the child of God. And, and, and God doesn't have nieces. God doesn't have nephews. God doesn't have grandkids. You're not the kid down the street. You are a child of God. And you need to get that revelation. And the Bible talks about being adopted, and even that I don't really love. It's really just an interpretation of what took place, but that is not really the, 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 the fullness of what happened. You actually were changed and made a child of God the day you received Jesus Christ into your life. And your spirit man changed, and you became his child 
forever, now and forever and throughout eternity. And nothing can ever change that. People think, yeah, I know that, right? But you haven't plumbed the depths of that. That's why I believe Jesus said in, in, in John chapter 3, you must be born again. People always question that. Like, well, that was a strange thing. For, and the devil always wants, wants to cut that down. He wants to throw that out. Oh, don't, don't tell people that. No, I believe Jesus did that on purpose because you must be born again. That which is born of flesh is flesh, Jesus said, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And he began to separate those two things. He began to separate those things. Amen? Uh, drive home that truth that the real you is a child of God. The real you, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. I wrote this down. That should be just as real to you as your natural birth. In fact, more real. It should be. I'm still working on it myself. <laughs> it should be more real to you than you are born to biological parents. But now, the minute you receive Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. That should even be more real to you than your biological parents. And I know that's hard to grasp, and I know that's hard to understand, but nevertheless, it's true. It's definitely true. A supernatural event took place when you invited Jesus Christ into your life, and you've changed. It's supernatural. It is powerful. And God did that through Jesus Christ. And people say, where is that in the Bible? I think we put that scripture up, John 1.12. Nope. Oh. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. Let me know if it pops up. I like everybody to see these things. John chapter 1, verse 12. I'll read it from the King James. I'm, I think, I'm not sure what translation I was going to use before. But as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons, or that's translated uh, uh, the word technon, which is offspring of God, even to them that believe on his name. Here it is, verse 13. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. A supernatural event took place that you are now a child of God throughout eternity. First, foremost, and forever. And when you begin to get that thinking straight in your thinking, right, in your attitude, right, all of a sudden the devil loses some leverage, doesn't he? He loses some leverage because you're not going to pick up what the devil throws down because you're God's kid. You're not going to pick it up. He can't tell you you're no good because God, God doesn't make no good kids. Right? Sure, I mess up a few times. I don't know about you guys, right? But kids mess up. I'm quick to go back to dad and say, Dad, father, I messed up. I plead the blood. And God's like, yeah, I figured just like your kids, when they mess up and they come to you and admit it, say you're sorry, are you going to be like, no, I don't accept that? 
You're weeping most of the time and you're just so happy that's what took place. And God is like that. And you just don't pick things up when you mess up. I mean, you don't pick things up that the devil throws down when you're his kids. The devil can't, you know, tell you things like you can't do this or you can't do that because you're saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? The devil can't tell you that your marriage is going to fail. And the devil can't tell you that your business won't flourish. And the, the devil can't tell you that your ministry isn't going, to, uh, isn't going to take off. He can't tell those things because we have promises and we have inheritances and we have power and we have strength. The spirit of race, Christ from the dead dwells in us. We are his kids. And when you see yourself as God's uh, uh, kids, uh, you realize you have things other people don't have. You have things other people don't have. The world does not have what you have. We are blessed. We have favor. We are a part of the family. We have plans. We have purposes. God's given them all to us. And the devil can't contradict that. Half God really said, because you know God and you know his word. But he does that over a time and time again, and people aren't sure. You have promises and an inheritance. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Because you're family, you have a birthright. Because you're God's kid, you have a birthright and you have promises. And you have a, 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 an attitude of mind that's different. Not because we're you know, better than anybody else, but we have this attitude because we're God's kid. And really, that's just step one. That's just step one, right? When you get into the Word and you know uh, that you're a child of God and you look in the Word and you see the promises of God, what happens? Hope comes alive on the inside of you. Just like somebody gave that testimony last week. You, you have hope. You read about healing, you have hope. You read about financial security, you have hope. You read about a sound mind, you have hope. You read about joy and peace, you have hope. And that's where it all begins. And you, you take that right off the pages because you know God and you know you're his child and you know his word and you take that hope in you. And then the Bible says that that hope can turn into faith. And that faith can reach out into the supernatural realm and draw that supernaturally right into you and it takes place. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And it's just that process, right? That hope. And the Bible says then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God and hearing the word of God and hearing the word of God. And that hope begins to turn, turn, turn into faith. And then it just reaches out into the spiritual realm and bang, supernatural things happen in your life. And that's how, uh, uh, and, and that's how God intends for his children to operate. That's how God wants his children uh, to be. And the devil tries to override that. Has God really said healing belongs to you? Has, that God, had, has God really said a sound mind believes to you? Oh, that's not for you. That's only for holy people. That's only for people who never, ever make any mistakes. And man, you guys are making mistakes. You're making mistakes. You did this and you did that. Right? And then he says, is that even interpreted properly? Right? That's a big one. And people get in there and they want to start playing around with all those interpretations and stuff. But if you know God and you know his word, you don't even want to mess with some of those interpretations because it's just head knowledge. It's just head knowledge that the devil is using people to twist things and just twist things and twist things. Your faith is required for the supernatural. Unbelief stops hope from turning into faith because you begin to doubt and you begin to say, I'm not sure. And you begin to say, is that really for me? Is that what God has for me? 
The Bible teaches that God gives us freely. God gives us without reluctance. And God gives us without reservation. Amen? God, you're, just because you're his kid, that's the only reason, just like you gave your kids things, just because they're your kids. You even didn't have to pay for them. You even didn't have to deserve them. Right? And it's the same thing with God. God gives wholeheartedly, willingly, and completely, and it's called the grace of God in the Bible. It's called His grace towards His kids. It's called His grace towards you. We obtain it by faith. We understand that. But it's His grace towards you. Right? It's never conditional on, on doing something for God. It's only yours because you're His kid and you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and you're already seated together with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And if you have to do something to get God to respond or, 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 or answer your prayer, then guess what? It's not grace no more. If you have to jump up and down and say, God, I'm over here. Look at me. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I prayed like a month ago and it hasn't come to pass, right? Then it's not grace anymore. By the very definition of grace, it's not grace anymore. You can't do anything ever to receive the grace of God in your life. It's, it's impossible. God had to give me an analogy to wrap my head around this. He had to give me an analogy to wrap my head around it. And he told me one time, imagine this circle here. There's a circle here. It's called the circle of grace. I imagine it has this little pony wall right around it. It's a beautiful circle of grace. And in that circle of grace are all the promises of God. In that circle of grace is healing, sound mind. There's the scripture, as for me and my house will be saved. Right? In this circle uh, uh, of grace is financial security, peace, and joy. I mean, heaven's in the circle of grace. Everything you can find in the Word of God is in this circle of grace. And here's Barry, he's going through life. It's January the 2nd, 1993. I'm in Thompson, Manitoba, working on the railway. And I'm watching this guy on TV tell me that Jesus could come back any moment. And he says, say that prayer. And I say that prayer, and I know something's changed on the inside of me. Immediately, God picks you up and drops you into the middle of this circle of grace. You're his kid now, and it's all right there. It's all right there wrapped around you. And if you're like me, I crawled right back out of there. And I went back over here and I just try to be better Barry. I just try not to fight so much. I'm going to try not to smoke, right? I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to be doing all these things anymore. I'm just going to be better. And then life comes and you're going to church and life comes and something whacks you on the side and you look over there and there's what you need. It's right there in that pool of grace. And you're like, Lord, please. It's, in, it's a promise in your word. And we begin to pray. And we begin to ask God for that. And we begin to ask God, God, I need that healing. I need that financial security. I need some peace in my life, Lord. I need some peace in my life. And I know it's a promise of God. And I know it's in the circle of grace. And God's like, Barry, go back in the pool. It belongs to you. Don't be asking me for it. I've already given it to you. It's right there at your fingertips. It's yours. You know what's happening when you're losing it? It's the devil that's out here that's sticking his hand in there and he's trying to steal your healing. He's trying to steal your finances. He's trying to steal your peace. He's trying to steal stuff. You've got to wrap his knuckles. You've got to be like, that's mine. You cannot touch that. I am a child of God. This belongs to me and I'm taking it everywhere I go. And you have no right to stick your hands in there and try and take it away from me. And that's the grace of God. And that's the truth of God's grace. Christians don't get out of the pool 
We all get out of the pool and we start asking God for things that already belong to us. Don't get out of the pool. Get back in the pool. What's happening? John 10, 10. I don't, I don't, if I put that up, that's okay. The thief, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Wrap the, the devil's knuckles. Just wrap them and say, that belongs to me. And he's going, to say, he's going to try and steal it. He's going to send the world system to try and steal it from you. Oh, get, max that credit card out, max that credit card out. He's going to take even friends sometimes come to try and steal your peace and steal your joy and steal your sound. He, he, that's, that's the enemy or the world system trying to do that. Health belongs to you, right? All these things belong to you. When I was a kid, I got a bicycle. I remember the McLeod store. We lived three houses behind. I used to go to the McLeod store and look at this bicycle, and one day Dad bought me that bicycle. It was this big. I seen it years later. It was only that big, but it was big. I could barely reach the pedals. And that was my bike because my dad bought it for me. And nobody else was going to take that bike. I might borrow it for you, and I just want to watch. Don't go past the end of the block because I want to see where you are. But when I go to bed at night, that bike belongs to me. It's going to be in my yard. When I go to bed, it's going to be there. When I wake up, it's going to be there because my dad bought me that bike. And no one's just going to take that bike. It, it belongs to me. And that's the attitude you need about the pool of grace. It belongs to you. It's not arrogant. It's not, you know, I... I don't care if people think I'm arrogant because I believe in financial security. I don't, think, I don't care if people think I'm arrogant because I believe everybody should be healed. I don't care. Everybody wanted what Jesus had and they followed him and then he gave it to us. Amen? It belongs to us. It's in the circle of grace. That's where we should be the most content. We should be the most restful and secure living in that peace of God, living in that security of God. Just like a kid growing up, right? When I came home from school, I just knew I could eat. Right? It wasn't like I, uh, you know, it wasn't like you know you can't have anything because you weren't good enough, right? At least in my house, anyway. I mean, I could mess up, but I could still eat. Mom didn't say, "I want you to sleep out in the lawn tonight because you've been bad." I still got my bedroom, right? I still got all those kinds of things, right? And it didn't matter if you were a rich kid or a poor kid, right? You were secure in your family, and that's the attitude that we need to have—that attitude of expectation. And people think that they somehow need points with God, right? Oh, well, if I read my Bible every day, I'm going to get a sticker. And if I pray every day, I'm going to get another sticker, right? And if I attend church and I tithe, I'm going to get a few more stickers. And when I have enough stickers, God's going to answer that prayer. And that's such a misconception. That's such a wrong thinking. You can never get enough stickers because if you tie any works to what God has already done through Jesus Christ, he cannot do it. Because now he's attaching something to what Christ did. It is impossible. It would have to go completely against his word. It would go completely against his word. God cannot accept payment for the provisions of grace. It is impossible. He cannot do it. It is so completely, if it takes away from Jesus Christ, then he wouldn't have even sent him. Why would he need to send him if you can work your way into the goodness of God? It is impossible. Change your thinking. Because the devil will play with you and play with you and play with you till all you're doing is working and working and working and never receiving anything. 
Because God cannot give it to you. If you've got to take, Jesus, I need your salvation plus a little bit of my works to get this from God. That's called works in the Bible. It's called self-righteousness. And that means I can do it on my own. And you've got to get rid of that thinking and that attitude as God's kid. 2 Corinthians 1.20 All the promises of God in the pool of grace, of God in Him, are yes and in Him. Amen. They all belong to you. Why? To the glory of God through us. That's why God wants you to have all those things. He wants you to go out into the world with that pool of grace wrapped around you and people are like, I want what they have. They have something and I'm not sure what it is. I can't put my finger on it but it's good. They have this and people begin to want it. We think, oh, people are going to judge us and people are going to... No, they want it. Everybody wanted what Jesus had. They followed him by the thousands. Everybody wanted what Jesus has. So don't throw stuff out of the pool. That's tempting too, right? (laughs) That's tempting to throw stuff out of the pool. Maybe you've been praying for healing and didn't get healed and you're like, I guess that doesn't work. (laughs) No, wait a minute. Right? I know when financial security stuff with, with Cheryl a few times when we farmed, we're like, man, we're believing for this crop and it froze. And rather than getting 350 high protein, I got, I got uh, feed wheat and we didn't even, we have, I had to borrow money to survive that winter. Well, I didn't throw financial security out of the pool. I guess it doesn't work. I don't want to throw it out of the pool. I'm having hope that it's going to work because I, and God changed it slowly. We look back and think, wow, God did this and God did that and God fixed this and we paid every bill and we look back and I don't remember going hungry and having holes in the bottom of my shoes. Everything was, was good. And so don't throw anything out of the pool. Just whatever's in the pool, just the prosperity and the security and all those things that are in the pool. And always call to remembrance when God does good things because then all of a sudden, man, your faith builds up, right? And your hope gets bigger and it turns into faith and it reaches into the supernatural. You can overrule the power of suggestion when you know the truth and you begin to develop your truth and you begin to get to know God. His goodness overrides people's prejudices. His goodness overrides our misunderstandings. His his goodness just overrides everything. And you have authority over the devil. The subtitle of this book is Overcoming the Enemy's Tactics. And that's really, really what I want everybody to know. I know Pastor Joel and Jamie want people to know that they don't want the devil to have access into people's lives because of the way they think and get twisted and get things and accept things that aren't true. And you know, this morning I'd love to have a prayer line and I'd love to have a prayer line and I'd start here and I'd lay hands on everybody and we would believe by faith together that the devil wouldn't bother you anymore. But like the old, but like the old time preacher said, one person came up to, them, up to them when they were praying and they said, what would you like me to pray for? And he said, I want you to pray that the devil doesn't bother me anymore. And he said, do you want me to pray that you would die? Because <laughs> the only place the devil's not going to bother you anymore is in heaven. And so I can't even have a nice prayer line this morning with a message like this. But I want us to make some commitments this morning. We need to make some commitments this morning that you're going to spend some time getting to know the Father. 
You need to spend some time. You cannot know the Father once a week. You have to begin to know the Father daily. You're going to have to begin to know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. And when you begin to know the heart of God, all of a sudden things just kind of like, I know that's wrong. That's, I'm not going to accept that. That's wrong. And you begin to know the Father. And you need to make a commitment that you're going to spend time in His Word. Right? We can't just open up the Bible once a week. You've got to spend time in His Word to get to know Him. Plug in those tablets. Plug in those phones. Plug in whatever's in the car. Find that time to read and communicate with God. And one big thing I've noticed nowadays is people don't even implement the sermon so much anymore. They hear it, they say it's good, and they go home and they forget about it rather than like, how am I going to implement that this week? How am I going to implement what Pastor Joel said this week? How am I going to do something different this week so that that becomes more alive in me and that becomes more truth in me and that becomes more powerful in me so that when I am out there in the workplace and in the communities and in my family, I am who I'm supposed to be. And so you need to spend that time in here and then you need to really commit this morning that you will take your authority. You just got to be able to take your authority and you've got to know and you've got to say, devil, I will not accept that in the name of Jesus. I will not accept that thought. I will not accept that, that cold. I will not accept the little things that he tries to throw at you. You need to just start with the little things. I'm not going to accept those things. You have authority. Jesus gave you authority. You're not living in the Old Testament. The, Old, the New Testament starts the day Jesus Christ was rose from the dead. A lot of people think, well, it starts in Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. Right? And all the four Gospels. Now, they're all living in the Old Testament till the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And then all of a sudden, now we're the church age. And we have things other people don't have. And we have authority. And we have a place. And so let's commit this morning to those kinds of things. Let me pray uh, just before we close. As Jillian gets ready for tithes and offerings. Father, I just want to thank you for each person in this place. And I pray, Father, that revelation knowledge went forth from this place. And I pray that that revelation knowledge affected their spirits, Lord, so that they would think about this even this week and the weeks to follow. I pray, Father, that it would change them, that they would have an understanding, Father, of what you taught in your word and the authority that we have and the place that we have. And I pray they would take that pool of grace or that circle of grace with them everywhere they go. And they would begin today. And they would implement tomorrow. And I pray a blessing on each family in this place. I pray that they might be successful, that their kids may prosper, that their kids would accomplish what you've called them to do. I pray that they would accomplish what you've called them to do. I pray that they find that place and they find that purpose, Lord, that you have for them. And the areas that you've influenced them to affect people. I pray this in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. I pray this with authority over any demonic forces that would attempt to disrupt them in the name of Jesus and we bind them they cannot have any influence in the name of Jesus and I pray they would take their own authority from this day forward in Jesus name amen and amen hey thanks for listening if you live in the central Alberta region of Canada we would love to have you come out and check out one of our weekend messages for more info on all of our directions, service times, and children's programs, visit our website at impactlife.ca. That's impactlife.ca.